Have you ever had the feeling you were being watched? My name is August Cruz. A few years ago, I wrote a book called Stalker. It's a fiction about a man who becomes obsessed with a woman he's never actually met. Like most fictions, however, the story has its roots in real stalking cases. Over 25 million people have experienced stalking in their lifetime. Today, we're going to explore one of those cases. Hello, and welcome to a special Valentine's Day episode of My Favorite Prey. Because what better way to celebrate Valentine's Day than a show about stalkers? It's February 14th, and this is also the 14th episode, so I figured, why not? I'm your host, August Cruz, and although I've never been one to place any importance on Valentine's Day, I know a lot of people that do, and I thought... I put out a new episode out there so anyone who likes can listen while they indulge in some overpriced chocolates today. Some of you are spending it with your special someone. Some are missing a special someone. And some of you are trying to get away from someone who thinks you're their special someone, even though you're not and don't want to be. But whatever the case may be, I hope you're all doing well. And remember that the most important person to love on this or any day is yourself. I know that may sound a little cheesy and corny to some, but I actually genuinely believe that. That said, if you want to reach out with comments, questions, requests for future cases, complaints, or preferably compliments, please email me at mfpray22 at gmail.com. That's mfpray22 at gmail.com. Okay, let's get to it. Many kids dream of growing up and becoming rich and famous. Hell, when I was a kid, I wanted to become an actor. Whether they want to go into acting, singing, writing, or sports, they envision a lifestyle of comfort and achieving success in their chosen field. Money, traveling around the world, Cars, mansions with so many rooms and space you could get lost just going to the bathroom. Of course, let's not forget the fans. Because none of that would be possible without the fans, as most celebrities state, usually while accepting some sort of award. Some imagine signing autographs while trying to get from the car to the entrance of the next event where they'll either be recognized for their achievements or attending some other popular party or sporting event. I mean, you can't neglect the fans, right? After all, if you have if you have the talent and you neglect them or without them rather, you might wind up just singing into a hairbrush in your room or making jump shots into a lonely basketball hoop in your driveway, never quite getting to where you dreamed that you would get to with your talent. But when people imagine this lifestyle, complete with fame and paparazzi, do they ever wonder about the darker side that comes with fame? Fans that aren't just fans. People who don't just want an autograph. They want you. And as I've discussed in other episodes, they'll stop at nothing to try and get what they want. Even if that means invading your life, And in some cases, taking it. Thankfully, the subject of this episode was spared that fate. 
I don't know a single person who hasn't heard her name or wouldn't recognize her face, if not at least one of her songs. She's been seen at football games due to her commitment to her boyfriend and was most recently spotted watching him play at Sunday's Super Bowl. I'm speaking, of course, about Taylor Swift. For those of you living under a rock for the past few years, Taylor Swift is an American singer and songwriter. At age nine, Swift became interested in musical theater and performed in four local theater productions in her area. She also traveled regularly to New York City for vocal and acting lessons. And Swift later shifted her focus toward country music, inspired by Shania Twain songs, which made her, quote, want to just run around the block four times and daydream about everything. In all fairness, that happens to me too whenever I hear the Mr. Softy ice cream truck jingle. She spent weekends performing at local festivals and events. After watching a documentary about Faith Hill, Swift felt she needed to move to Nashville, Tennessee to pursue a career in music. She went there with her mom at age 11 and submitted demo tapes of Dolly Parton and Dixie Chicks karaoke covers. But she was rejected, if you can believe it. Man, I'm sure those guys must be kicking themselves in the ass every day at this point. When she was 14, the family moved to Nashville to try and help Taylor break into the country music scene. In Nashville, she worked with experienced music row songwriters such as Troy Verges, Pret Beavers, Brett James, Mac McNally, and the Warren Brothers and formed a lasting working relationship with Liz Rose. They began meeting for two-hour writing sessions every Tuesday afternoon after school. Rose called the sessions some of the easiest I've ever done. Basically, I was just her editor. She'd write about what happened in school that day. She had such a clear vision of what she was trying to say. And she'd come in with the most incredible hooks. Swift became the youngest artist signed by the Sony ATV Tree Publishing House but left then-BMG-owned RCA Records, later bought by Sony Music, at the age of 14 due to the label's lack of care and them, according to her, cutting other people's stuff. She said, I genuinely felt that I was running out of time. I wanted to capture these years of my life on an album while they still represented what I was going through. Giving credence to the saying, art imitates life, and also displaying an incredibly mature and artistic outlook. On October 24, 2006, her debut album titled simply Taylor Swift was released, and it was a hit, to say the least. It was, wasn't long afterwards that Taylor became a superstar. Of course, fame does come with a price. And no, I'm not referring to the Video Music Awards moment ruined by Kanye West, although that was almost as cringeworthy. Now, Taylor's had her fair share of stalkers, some crazier than others, but Muhammad Jafar kind of stands out among these. Since 2014, Muhammad Jafar had been obsessed with Swift and did little to hide it. In fact, he outright acted on his impulses and delusions, and in December of 2016, he tracked her down to an apartment in Tribeca and asked to have a sit-down with her. 
The staff were as patient as they could be until they finally told Jafar to hit the road. He just wasn't getting it. Undeterred, because why take no for an answer, he went back four more times to try and see her. Once, he even managed to get into her building and stood outside her door, ringing her bell for an hour. If only Amazon delivery drivers would be so persistent. When that didn't work, he returned and tried it again the next day, but gave up after only 45 minutes. If that wasn't creepy enough, one of the last times he got into the building, he lingered around her hallway for a while before making his way to the roof of the building, where he waited for four hours. A week after he was arrested on stalking and burglary charges, it was discovered that Jackoff, I mean Jafar, even professed his love for Swift on the internet. He tweeted a picture of those heart-shaped pieces of candy that taste more like chalk than anything else. You know, the ones that have little messages written on them like, Be mine, forget me not, I love you, and one of them that read, Hot now. In and of itself, the picture seems pretty harmless. Only he captured, captioned it excuse me, by writing, Something a gatekeeper a guy dressed up as a security guard in your lobby today, prevented us from sharing. I think I'd rather eat real chalk than share anything with that guy. He followed that up a few days later with another tweet, which read, I need to meet you tonight. To do in words written what John Cusack's character did in music. I'm assuming he's referring to the 1989 John Cusack movie, Say Anything, If nothing else, at least he has good taste in movies. Another tweet he sent her was a picture of Swift in an elevator, dressed as an angel, where he wrote, You will always be my fantasy made real. The investigation found that the tweets stretched as far back as 2014, some of which included such Shakespeare-like odes as this one that he titled Love. Now, I hope you haven't eaten anything. Uh, and that you have some Maalox, uh or Mylanta next to you, uh, this is what he wrote. This humble white rose is not something that you could ever make. So you, like I, capture it in words. A sound indicates the correctness of this situation as jazz fills in the pen's desire, hesitated by the need to perfectly capture nothing less than the entire beauty of you for but one moment. One, for the white rose is white for knowing no other way yet in what would be considered a plainness by eyes that see not the trust of truths to one, nor the truths that trust one other. In this case, me, the beholder of the beauty, and you, the readers of the products of beauty, and I must here comment on the reflective nature of flow, flow, pause, to say that there is nothing I love more than you. Nothing, Taylor. Nothing. You are white as snow and twice as hopeful for knowing how to melt my love. Yeah. Anyway, 
Another one was tweeted, but untitled, shorter, thankfully, and it reads, Words are all I have left. The birth of a poet, twice challenged, once met, yet never again doubted, unless trouted, made a part of somebody else's. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what he's trying to say with that one, or what the hell trouted means. By the way, neither does any online dictionary. I checked. Stalkers sometimes have a language all their own, and I don't think it would go with anything that John Cusack starred in. After tweeting a few more gems, like, You are... Once and always, the biggest light I will ever know. And, uh, next one, I promise I will deserve you, which included a collage of pictures from Taylor's various Grammy appearances. He sent her a particularly disturbing tweet, not that the others weren't, on... Think you can guess? Yep, I think some of you can. Valentine's Day. It included a New York City address and a simple line where he wrote, Good Fate Thing. Now again, all these tweets were directed at Taylor Swift on her Twitter handle and um, kind of give us an insight as to where his mind was at. When he was arrested on March 6th, the investigation also discovered that he called Swift Swift's management team 59 times between January 27th and February 16th. He was held on $20,000 bail, and the judge issued an order of protection against him. In September 2017, he was found unfit to stand trial and placed in the custody of the New York State Office of Mental Health. Good decision. Good idea. However, he was eventually sentenced to six months in jail, and five years probation where he was not to contact Swift in any way, shape, or form, and he was also to continue mental health treatment. As I mentioned, Swift has had many, many stalkers since she burst onto the scene. And it's gotten so bad to the point where, um, well, she uses very state-of-the-art cutting technology cutting-edge technology uh for face recognition in some of her concerts at least that's what's being put out there on the net where um any people that have been stalking her perhaps might be picked up by this new tech and promptly escorted out hopefully none of that will happen and she'll stay safe there's a uh, not many talented artists out there these days. and uh, I'm not saying that I'm a huge fan, but she's definitely talented. There's no getting around that. Look, everyone has dreams of being successful. Taylor Swift used her talent to be able to achieve the success that she sought while at the same time bringing happiness to people who appreciate her music. It's natural to be drawn to people like that people who try to create something beautiful with the gifts they've been given. It's also natural to develop a crush on those that are in the spotlight, like Swift. 
Muhammad Jafar is a person who didn't seem to have much going on in his life, and he found some light in the songs of Taylor Swift. Now, I've had celebrity crushes over the years, of course. Who hasn't? But it doesn't usually consume someone to the point where they break the law by trespassing and trying to force your crush to meet you, even on Valentine's Day. Normally, you might write a fan letter and maybe get an autographed picture as a reply, which you'll hold on to and maybe even show off to others. Jafar wanted a lot more than just an autograph. He truly believed that if he could speak with Swift, then perhaps it could be the foundation of a relationship. His actions, though, they were like trying to build something in the sand. It's destined to fall apart. The way he did, by breaking into her building and letting his obsession take over any kind of reasoning he may have had. I know I've made some remarks at his expense in this podcast. But in reality, I hope that he gets the help he needs and realizes that Obsession isn't love. It certainly will disrupt the lives of everyone involved and will inevitably cause disappointment, sadness, and the collapse of any dreams that one may have had. There aren't enough songs in the world to kind of soothe that sort of thing. If you or anyone you know has experienced a stalker or think you have, please don't hesitate to contact Safe Horizon at 800-621-HOPE. That's 800-621-4673. They're available 24 hours a day, and even if they aren't in your city, they can help you get in touch with a local support center. Take care of yourselves, watch your surroundings, and I hope you'll join me again.